And I will be reading from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through chapter, uh, verse 18. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and all your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted, to eat, uh, wanted something to eat. But while they, were praying, while, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. This is the word of God. Thanks, Daniel. I told Daniel to read it with great emphasis, you know, tell it like a story. I think he did a pretty good job. Thanks, man. <laughs> good afternoon, everyone. My name is John. I am uh, associate pastor here at King's Cross, um, and it is uh, my pleasure, my joy, my honor to share with all of you t- today. Uh, first thing I want to say, I just want to relay uh, a message from Pastor Sungmin. You know, last week he, he asked us to pray for him. Uh, He and his family uh, flew out to the United States um, last Tuesday, and um, some of the stuff that he asked us to pray for, for, uh, they were flying internationally on Air Canada, and they were a little bit worried about flights being canceled and and losing luggage and all this and that. Well, all of that they were afraid might happen, did happen. (laughs) Their flights were canceled. They were kind of left stranded in in Canada. I I think uh, one of their luggage... Um, was lost. I think, like, I think it was their one luggage that had all of the gifts, you know, for family. So, you know, we can continue to to pray for them that this luggage is recovered. Um, you know, the one uh, the one positive thing in all of that is they, they they got to spend some time with Adrian Kang. For those of you guys who remember her, she was a previous um, worship pastor at King's Cross. And if you know her, you know that that's a really uh, a great joy that they got to spend time with her. 
Um, but they did make it to their destination. They are with Sangmin's family in Virginia. And in where? Oh, praise God. Yeah. I thought you were connect- uh, correcting me like, oh, they're not in Virginia. They might not be. Praise God all the same. Um, but we can continue to pray for them because Pastor Sangmin, he said like, man, when I go home to my family, I just become like a five-year-old again, if anybody can relate to that. Um, but uh, he's, he's asked just that that time would be a sweet time of true and, and lasting uh, relationship building between him and family and, and all of that. Uh, they will be back in mid-August, um, so they'll be back soon. And while I'm on the topic of travel, um, my family and I are actually traveling to the States as well. We are leaving in two days uh, on Tuesday. Um, if you guys remember earlier this year, uh, I began my side hustle as an uh, Air Force Reserve chaplain. And, yeah, and, uh, uh, yeah, thanks, guys. Is that like a thank you for your service kind of thing? Um, but I'll be going for a two-month officer training school, basically a boot camp. So I'm looking forward to just a beautiful time in the summer heat of Alabama, being yelled at constantly and being told to do more push-ups than I'm probably able to do. Um, so that's going to be my two months. And then meanwhile, Mina and the kids are going to go to New York, where Mina's sister and her family are. And so they'll get to just kind of live life and, 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 and parents together. The kids will get to play with cousins. And so that's going to be a sweet time as well. Uh, you know, we're looking forward to it. But at the same time, three young kids flying, you know, we're like, oh, shoot, oh, shoot, oh, shoot. Um, so we're thankful. But yeah, you pray for us too. Um, and I know two months, uh, actually it's going to be two and a half months, pretty, pretty long time, but we'll be back in mid-October. Uh, we'll miss you, but you guys, this church is in good hands because we're in God's hands, all right? Yeah, amen. Okay, so okay, all of that aside, um, let's get into our teaching, our sermon for the day. Acts chapter 10, Daniel read for us 17 whole verses. It was kind of a long passage, but I, I just, I love, you know, if, if, if anything, if I do just a poor job of communicating and teaching, if anything, we've read scripture um, and we've read the story of God and, 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 and salvation history. Uh, so that's always, that's a good thing. But also it's just, this story is just so it's so, it's so interesting, it's so amazing, it's so awesome. And so I really, I wanted us to read. I actually thought about reading the entire chapter, but we're, I'm just going to narrate it for us a little bit. And actually, we're going to, today, we're going to cruise through not only chapter 10 in its entirety, but we're going to try to cover most of chapter 11 as well. Okay, so are you ready? I saw a couple nods over here, nothing over here. That's okay. Um... But first thing, you know, as we're going through this series in Acts, the, the pastors, we, we've decided that we want to intentionally go through this book every year. We want to move through this book slowly and intentionally because we believe that the story of the first community of Jesus followers has important and unique insight for us in our particular Jesus community at this time and space you know, as King's Cross Church, this international uh, English-speaking community in Jamshil, Seoul, Korea, 
We believe that Acts has something unique and special for us uh, to see. So to start us off in Acts chapter 10, let me read for us uh, a quote from Willie James Jennings. He wrote a commentary on the book of Acts and a lot of kind of color commentary that I'm gonna be sharing today comes from, uh, comes from his commentary. But this quote helps to heighten the necessary perception of drama that is happening at this point in the story. He says this, Luke's narrative from this point forward will strain under the weight of the obsessive love of God. This chapter, chapter 10, is the pivot, the turn that makes intelligible everything before it and after it. This chapter is the pivot. Everything before it and everything after it. What is Jennings talking about? I believe what he's talking about is the disruptive presence of the Holy Spirit. That's how we introduced the book of Acts last year, the disruptive presence of the Holy Spirit and his desire for all peoples, for all tribes, all tongues, all nations. Everything before it and everything after it, this chapter makes intelligible. And guess what, guys? We are a part of everything that came after it, aren't we? This is our story. So as we looked at, as we opened up uh, the chapter, chapter 10, we meet Cornelius. He's a Roman centurion in Caesarea. This city happens to be the seat of the Roman government in Judea. So that means it's, it's, it's a big deal. And Cornelius is kind of a big deal. He's a centurion, which means that he was a military commander of over 100 men. So he's, he's got authority. But not only that, as a member of the Italian cohort, that actually meant that he was, he was a part of the leadership over somewhere between 600 and 1,000 men. He was well, he was well respected. He was very likely socially prominent and probably wealthy. And yet all of this we see somehow, you know, him being stationed in Judea, somehow he comes to fear the God of Israel. He becomes someone who fears the God of Israel, who prays and who gives generously to the poor. He gives generously to the people. And later we read uh, that he is considered an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. This is Cornelius. And Cornelius had a vision from God. Basically the vision is, hey, go find Peter. Now meanwhile, the, the, the scene flips and then we see Peter. The text said Simon, who is called Peter. Meanwhile, we meet Peter, who's hanging out with a tanner. Have you guys ever hung out with a tanner before? There's a tanner here. Anyways, uh, he's hanging out, and that's 30 miles south in a city called Joppa. And Peter, as he's on the rooftop, he has a vision. And it's a strange vision. So basically what's happening right here is God is telling Cornelius and Peter, hey, 
you two need to meet each other. But he, God, he presents that message in a way that only God can do, right? Now for Cornelius, the vision was pretty clear. Go find Peter. But at the same time, it left him with as much unclarity as clarity. God says, go to Joppa, okay? He knows where that city is. He says, find Simon Peter who's staying with Simon the Tanner. It's like, oh, okay, who's, who's Simon Peter? Who's Simon the Tanner? Um, well, they're by the sea. Okay, the sea, the sea is pretty huge. The city is pretty huge, right? How am I supposed to find these people? And he doesn't get answers to those questions. And so now Cornelius is on a manhunt. Now, it's probably easy for us to just blow past this reality, but see this, Cornelius had to search. The searching and the trusting was part of the encounter. Let us be a people who do not, who do not neglect the searching. Okay, so then we see Peter. He's on a rooftop. He's there to pray, and he's hungry. And God speaks to him in a peculiar way amidst that hunger. Peter falls into a trance, and he has a vision. A sheet descends from heaven, held by its four corners, and in it are creatures, beasts, reptiles, and birds, can you picture it? I think this would make a pretty cool tattoo. If anyone here is like, man, I need to get like a tattoo like spread across my back, I think that would be a cool tattoo to get. We actually have a tattoo artist here, but she's not here right now, so I can't tell her to design this. I also think it'd be cool to see this like on a mural on a wall somewhere in Seoul, if we have any street artists here. I think it would be cool. If you do it, they'll get permission, okay? So he has this vision, this sheet descends from heaven and he hears a voice that can really only be the voice of Jesus. And the voice says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I mean, if he's really hungry, right? <laughs> no, but, but, Peter, but, but Peter's like, he's like, no. Now, I don't know if this is downright disobedience from the, from the voice of God, but definitely Peter is just greatly confused. He's seeing this writhing heap of clean and unclean animals. And Peter says, by no means, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. See, Peter knew the Jewish law. He knew it, he knew it very well. It's given in Leviticus very clearly. There are things that, that, that he was allowed to eat and there were things that if he even touched would render him unclean. But Jesus responds, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. God likes repeating things three times. You know, I wonder if in his trance, if Peter ever got the hint, you know? Or if every time he's like, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. I don't know. 
But it's strange, right? It's a, it's a strange metaphor. I think it'd be an awesome tattoo, but it's a strange metaphor. And Peter, he ponders the vision. He's perplexed, the text says. What could it mean? See, on that sheet, God is bringing a revolution that will shatter so much of what Peter knew of his world. And I wonder, what did Peter hunger for? For on that sheet were animals clean and unclean, appropriate and inappropriate, appealing and repulsive, desired and despised. And this command from Jesus to kill and eat, it made no sense to Peter. It made no sense. It would violate the Jewish food laws. It didn't make any sense. But then again, there's this voice. Jesus says, what God has made clean is no longer unclean. It is no longer common. Jennings says it like this. He says, God was overturning the old clean and unclean distinctions and dietary laws in general, along with all the other ceremonial laws in the Mosaic Covenant. And that included laws about sacrifices, festivals, and special days and circumcision, and so much more as Peter is about to see. But this vision is also a little bit jarring to me as I think about it, because when I hear the words kill and eat, it feels very dominating, oppressive, and violent. But remember, though, Peter, he was a professional fisherman. You guys remember, he used to be a professional fisherman. It was his old profession to catch and kill for his own sustenance as well as for the sake of others. And if you remember in Jesus' ministry with Peter, Jesus said to Peter and the disciples, he said, I will make you fishers of men. So that's kind of one thing. But also, let's think about it this way. Kill and eat is much less a command to possess or dominate, but rather an invitation to enter into, to become a part of something. And in this case, to become a part of something that he never imagined being a part of before. Again, as Jennings suggests, he says, this new eating grows out of another invitation to eat. This invitation was offered by his savior and his friend. This is my body, which is given for you. Okay, but I think this is getting a little bit ahead of our story, and and we're going to get there soon. So this vision, as Peter is pondering it, he's perplexed. He's thinking, what does it mean? This vision actually prepares him to receive the guests who are about to knock on the door of Simon the Tanner's house. It is Cornelius' servants and the soldier. This encounter marks Peter's first of many lessons to be taught by the most unlikely teachers. Because this Peter, I mean, a lot of traditions of our church, they they say Peter is the foundation that the church was built upon. This Peter, who's, he's, he's the teacher, but here we see Peter. He's about to be taught 
unknown things of his God by Gentiles, the most unlikely of teachers. So these guests, they tell, they tell Peter about Cornelius. And they tell him about how an angel had directed Cornelius to send for him, to send for Peter. And the spirit told Peter, he said, hey, you're gonna, you, you accompany them. I sent them. And so with the vision and with that word, Peter agrees. And the next morning, he goes with them to meet Cornelius. And so we need to get through, get moving through this story. So what I read initially, Peter, he understood the vision initially to mean, okay, go and meet this guy. Just go and meet the guy. It used to be a thing that would make you unclean, but hey, just, just go. I think what, what Peter initially understood was, hey, just, just go and meet and see what's going on. Peter's world was, was going to be shattered as he came to realize that this vision actually meant that God was doing a miraculous work of bringing in all peoples, tribes, and tongues, starting with the least likely of Gentiles, a Roman centurion. When Peter goes and, he's, and, he, and he finally gets there and he's there with, with, with uh, Cornelius and, and all of his family and all of his closest friends, Peter, he, he, he himself, he says, hey, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to, even to, or to visit anyone of another nation. See, according to strict Jewish traditions about uncleanness, it was impossible for Jews to associate with Gentiles without becoming ritually unclean. In that culture, in that society, Peter and Cornelius should not have been together. But think about this too. It's a Roman centurion. It wasn't that long ago that the physical hands of a Roman centurion had crucified his Lord Jesus. Do you see that? Peter and, Peter and Cornelius, they should not have been together. And yet here they are, communing together because of Jesus. This is a miraculous work. It is a miraculous work that God has been after from the very beginning for all people, all of his image bearers to reflect his glory. This is what God has been after. Okay, so Peter, he comes in, he finds Cornelius with all of his relatives and closest friends. And before Peter says another word, he asks Cornelius, hey, why did you send for me? And so here again, Peter learns something about his God. And upon hearing Cornelius' encounter with God, Peter says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. And from there, Peter speaks. He shares the good news and it's almost as, as soon as he begins to tell the gospel of Jesus to this gathered group, Cornelius, along with his household, relatives, and closest friends, they believe. 
It's like almost as soon as he's just sharing, he's talking about Jesus' life. You, you've heard what's been happening over there. And, and as he's talking, this Jesus, he, he lived this life. He, was, he, he did amazing things. He, he did good. He healed the, he healed the poor. He healed, he healed the sick. And then he was crucified, but he was raised to life. As he's sharing this gospel, they believe. There was no posturing up with entitlement, no hint of self-sufficiency. No, no, I don't, I don't need a savior. No, they, they heard the word. They were convicted, you know, regardless of their social status, regardless of their moral accomplishments. They were hungry. And Peter simply offered Jesus the bread of life. This miracle of faith and salvation was the movement and desire of God. They believed. They believed, and the Holy Spirit descended upon them just as he had with the, with the disciples at Pentecost. This was absolute proof, absolute proof that God desired Jew and Gentile alike to form a new reality as God's people. Peter's world is rocked. His, his, his world is turned upside down. Peter is amazed. God is constantly, constantly reshaping his worldview. You know, Peter's perspective after his time with Jesus, during his time with Jesus, his, his worldview is being shaped and reshaped. But his perspective constantly was too small. Our perspectives are often just way too small because God's love and grace is way bigger than anyone had thought possible. God's love and grace is way bigger than we think possible. Jesus' blood and sacrifice covers over literally the whole world over all time and space. All people, all tribes, all languages. This is the goodness and the power of God. Peter is amazed. And then we read in the next chapter, chapter 11, the other disciples in Jerusalem, the other, the church leaders, they hear of what has happened and they are amazed. They are, some of them, angry. They don't get it. It's inconceivable. Luke calls this one group the circumcision party. That's a, what, a, what a name of a group, right? <laughs> the circumcision party they put Peter on blast. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Are you kidding? And, and, and now here you are, ceremonially, ceremonially unclean? You, you spent time, you ate with those heathens? Now listen, back then Gentiles uh, were basically non-Jewish people, right? And I had to think through this carefully because I think I, sometimes I, I think very much like too presumptuously uh, but, but actually 
Think about this, the, the line between the circumcised and the un, uncircumcised, it is not just a matter of religious ethnocentrism, okay? That's how I sometimes I reduce it to that. But, but, but understand the context of the Jewish people, the reality of their history. Israel has constantly been surrounded by non-Jewish people, non-Jewish nations bent on destroying them as a people, Right? And these early believers of Jesus, they had no other paradigm but to see their faith and life as bound to the foundation of Israel, right? And so Peter's fellowship with Gentiles and, and their acceptance of that fellowship, that was, like, that was a huge risk. Think about their context of where they've been from. Non-Jewish people have always been bent on destroying them. And you know how you're going to go and, and eat with them? You're going to go and welcome them? It was a huge risk. How could they be sure this was of God? But the reality is they couldn't see as God sees. You know, last week, Pastor Sangman, he preached, if you didn't catch it or if you were here but you didn't quite pay uh, full attention, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. I was so convicted you can find it on YouTube. You can, you can search uh, our, our podcast, search King's Cross Soul, uh, you know, wherever you get your podcast. And, and the sermon last week was called uh, Seeing the Way God Sees. And one thing that Pastor Sangmin presented was this, the truth that we know or the, the truth that we think we know of a person or a people must move to the background and what we know of God's desire for them must move to the foreground. Now, these church leaders... They were about to get a glimpse at God's desire for the Gentiles. So Peter, he walks up to these church leaders. He walks them through step by step what happened. Step by step. You know, it's interesting how much chapter 11, it's, just, it's a repeat of chapter 10. But Peter, he's, he needs to tell the whole story in detail. It's necessary because these church leaders, they need to hear it. They need to truly feel in their souls exactly what happened. Peter's like, dude, I know, it's crazy. But look, here's how it went down. God spoke to him in a vision. God spoke to me in a vision. And the Holy Spirit moved in power. The Holy Spirit rested on us, just like what we sang earlier. And Peter says, who was I to stand in God's way? It's crazy. It's earth-shattering perspective, like tearing down everything that they thought they knew. And the leaders heard, and they were silenced. They were silenced. Jennings, he likens this silence as a break in music like in jazz. If you, if you, if you like music, you're going to understand this. Like in jazz improvisation, when the band suddenly stops playing and makes room for the solo instrument. He says, the moment of silence after the testimony reveals a God who has been keeping time beautifully and faithfully with Israel and now expects the hearers to feel the beat, remember the rhythm, and know the time. God is doing something. And so the leaders were stunned upon hearing Peter's testimony. They couldn't believe their ears. God was doing what they couldn't imagine. And then we read 
they glorified God. For yes, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is a miracle. Jennings continues in this moving porch poetry. He says, after the silence, God's love has modulated into a new key, but the rhythm and song of Israel continues. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. See, this is the disruptive force of the Holy Spirit that we talked about when we introduced the series of Acts. God disrupts what is familiar, what is accepted and valued and celebrated. And he doesn't do it just for the sake of shock or just for the sake of disrupting. But you see, God's heart is, is, is one of passion and he is desiring for all peoples to know true life. Okay, so what? You know, uh, we're taught when preaching to ask the question, so what? So what? You know, maybe some of us are thinking, okay, okay, John, you've just spent all this time basically telling us the story that we could read in the, book, in the book of Acts with a few poetic quotes from this Jennings guy. So what? Number one, there's this important detail that Peter gives when retelling the story to the church leaders about what happened. In Acts chapter 11, verse 13, he's talking about Cornelius and Peter says, and he, Cornelius, told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household a message by which you will be saved. What was that message? What was that message that, 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 that Peter brought? It was the message about repentance that leads to life. Peter, in teaching Cornelius and the family in Acts 10, verse 43, he says, to him, to Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. The gospel is about repentance, and through Jesus' forgiveness of sins, repentance leads to life. This is the message by which anyone is saved. The good news of Jesus is, yes, God loves you. That is the good news. God loves you through Jesus, and that is shockingly good. It's shockingly good news, and it should be shocking to us. Some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, God loves me. But it should be shockingly good, as shocking as it is for, for, for Peter to say, oh, God loves even Cornelius? God loves even you? God loves even me? Yes, it is shockingly good news. This is the good news. But the good news of God's love is a message of repentance. It's an x-ray that reveals the shattered bones. It's, it's the MRI that, that, that images the cancer. It's the conclusive evidence that, that shows the guilt. And these things sound like bad news. They don't sound like good news, right? But see, ignorance is not bliss. We have to see this, we have to know this. You and I, were sinners. You and I are sinners, no matter how good or bad you think you are. You and I are sinners. We are sinners, and we need a Savior. This is the good news. We have a Savior. 
Because we look at Cornelius, if you guys read again, Luke, Luke tells us in chapter 10, Cornelius, he's, a, he's pretty good. With all of his power and all of his authority, like he's pretty good. A life of prayer and generosity, Acts 10, 4, the angel says, your prayers and your alms have, have, been, have ascended as a memorial before God. Like it's, it's, that's pretty good. But he, like all of us, need that message. He needed to hear this message by which he could be saved. The message is Jesus. Because see, Cornelius' good works, no matter how good they might seem, they were not good enough to save him. Do you see this? You guys know this. Your good work is not enough to save you. And I know that this is basic church stuff, I know. But friends, this is the good news. What you and I need is repentance. We are sinners needing forgiveness. And the only forgiveness that leads to life is the forgiveness bought by Jesus' blood. We need Jesus. He is all we need. No one else, nothing else will do. We need Jesus and we have Jesus. This is the good news. Jesus Christ, my living hope. The good news is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Through Jesus' death, death is defeated and life is won. Amen. Now listen, guys. Repentance is not about how bad you are. Repentance is not about how bad you are, how guilty you you need to make yourself feel. Repentance is not about how bad you are. It is about turning to Jesus because of how good he is. Amen? And friends, it is repentance that leads to life. Okay, so that's number one. Repentance is the good news that leads to life. Number two, and I'll I'll go quickly, the Holy Spirit's presence disrupts our norms, our traditions, our comforts, our desires. Do you and I long for this disruption? And you gotta recognize this. John, recognize this, man. If I don't want disruption, then I actually don't really want the Holy Spirit. Peter and the disciples and the church leaders of their world was flipped, turned upside down as God broke down borders and boundaries. And Peter had this opportunity to enter into this intimate space with Cornelius and these Gentiles whom he thought would make him unclean, but he had fellowship in a way that he could never dream possible before. Are we willing to enter into these intimate spaces where God breaks through borders and boundaries of difference and division? Are we willing? Are we willing to enter these intimate spaces where we can commune with Jesus and each other? Now, one application for me specifically, guys, as I shared again, you know, I'm heading off to officer training school. I'm a chaplain in the Air Force. And one of my primary responsibilities as a military chaplain is to support the spiritual health of service members and their families. 
And that means I defend and I accommodate for the religious freedom of every airman, of every family, of every religious faith. Now, this is one note for all of us. Every single person is religious, whether they recognize it or not. Every single person alive, every single person in your life, around you, everyone is religious, whether they know it or not. But as a chaplain, it means that I have to work in a team of chaplains among which are not Christians. And I have to work in a team with them and and have a shared vision and a goal and to serve these, these airmen and to serve each other. And so one thing that I'm realizing is that I need to be willing and ready to learn, to listen and to learn from others. For me, it means recognizing that I have so much to learn from others, regardless of their religious background. Like that's like, it's like scary to me in a sense, it's humbling, but man, I have so much to learn from them, I know this. And it also means that I can learn about our one true God through them. Now listen to me, I'm not talking about syncretism, okay? I'm not talking about blending religions and like this is the, the, I'm not talking about that. But if each person is made in the image of God, and I know that that's true, then I know that I'm going to be able to learn about God through each of them. if I'm willing. And so for me, like I want to be, I want to rest secure in the good news of Jesus and enter into the intimate spaces of others who do not know him. Believing that God does miracles to draw those across boundaries and borders to himself. That's for me, if you guys can relate, awesome. Last thing, hunger. We started with hunger. Peter was hungry. What was he hungry for? What do you hunger for? Peter started this journey with hunger and God reoriented that hunger for God's heart. May God reorient our hunger for his heart, his glory, and his kingdom. Let's pray. So these three things, these three so what's, again, the good news is a message of repentance. Friends, if you haven't repented in a while, come and repent. The good news is the message of repentance that leads to life because of Jesus. The second point was Holy Spirit. He disrupts our norms, our comforts, and our desires. And invite us to say, yes, Lord, come. And the last thing was hunger. God, show us what we hunger for. Would you reorient our hunger for your heart?
God, your love and your grace is so much bigger, so much bigger than we know. We thank you, God, that the good news is, yes, God, you love us, even us, even me, God, you love me. And the good news is a repentance that leads to life. Thank you, Jesus. I need you as a Savior. I need you, Savior. I need you, Lord. And I have you. Thank you, God.